Welcome to episode 64 of Control the Controllables. Today, we have Steve Hewitt on the show. Steve is the CEO of Gymshark. Gymshark is currently one of the fastest growing businesses in the UK. It's an incredible story. And Steve is also a tennis parent. So we look at all the different ways that his sporting life has helped him in business. He shares the Gymshark story. And he also talks to us about the challenges of being a tennis parent. The the transferable skills from sport into business. And also from business into sport. We look at culture. We look at people. It's a brilliant chat. I learned loads from it. I know you guys will too. Please continue to share these podcasts. Get it out far and wide. This is another fantastic episode. I'm going to pass you over now to Steve Hewitt. So Steve Hewitt, a massive welcome to Control the Controllables. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Uh, it's a privilege to be part of it, my friend. It's, it's lovely to have you on. For those, for those listening, I know we're a tennis podcast, but there is a, a very much a tennis link here. We've got the CEO of Gymshark. And for all of you that don't know Gymshark, Google it, you will know them immediately. Um, they've just been valued at $1.3 billion after the investment coming in from General Atlantic. And Steve is also a tennis parent. So we're going to be exploring business, sport, tennis parents and all sorts today. So, so how things your end, Steve? Yeah, um, I think that's nicely put together, Dan. Um, yeah, things are just uh, mental here. We have uh, one word that describes Gymshark and that's relentless. It is yeah. just, you know, we're on it 24-7. There's obviously a D2C e-commerce brand there's no you don't get a you don't get the weekend to switch off um yeah you know so super proud of uh of the general atlantic investment um you know i got involved with um ben francis the guy who sort of kicked jim shark off back in 2012 as a 21 year old Um, and if you had said to me back then when i got involved in 2014 that we would be, you know, valued over a billion pounds. I would have yeah. probably laughed you out the room. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a hell of a journey. Um, and then, you know, obviously the balance between, you know, being part of a fast-growing business as well as sort of family life, as you said, as a tennis parent, is, um, is, is, is also tough. It's great fun, but it's tough. So. Yeah. And since the the announcement, I guess it was a month ago or whenever it was, and there was yeah. obviously a lot of traction on social media about Gymshark. Have you noticed another change, another level up since? Yeah, good question. Um, yes, in many respects, some of it, some of that is in a positive way. Some of that is in a a little bit of a watch out for us. Yeah. So when you get that sort of valuation, um, the danger you have within within the business we employ almost 600 people across five offices and four continents is sometimes you can get a bit of complacency coming it's a bit like you know tennis player you know they win a match they play well they think okay great i'll i'll um you know i'm gonna win the next game uh really easy without sort of that 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 right level of prep and uh and effectively um you know approach in terms of style 
So our watch out was probably, you know, what impact is this going to have on our culture? So yeah. are we suddenly going to get complacent? You know, we've got four words that have really built the brand in terms of its ethos. Yeah. Um, and that's work hard, stay humble. And actually, I uh, Maddie, my 15-year-old daughter, who's played tennis down at Soto uh, a couple of times, um, I say to her all the time, it takes zero talent to do both those things. Yeah. You, any, you don't need an ounce of talent to do either of those things well. So a little bit of watch out was, does this change the culture in terms of, you know, does it bring actually some complacency into the business? Um, again, we haven't seen that yet, uh, which is great. And, that's, you know, I think that's down to, again, leadership. Um, at all levels within our business. Um, from an external perspective, yes, yeah, suddenly we're, we're on now, um, or we're in the spotlight, yeah. which is great when you're talking about employer brands. So now when we're trying to attract world-class talent to the yeah. business, suddenly actually they know they're, they're joining a really credible, fast-growing business. Yeah. Um, the downside is that you're also in the media spotlight, right? So um, and, and certainly in the UK, the, the media is notorious for building you up and then, you know, yeah. also quite quickly knocking you down. So you've actually got to, um, in terms of your A game, you've got to, you've almost got to move to that next level in terms of staying on your A game. So lots of different challenges, both positive, negative. Um, as I said, from a culture perspective, our view is we're just getting started. So uh, again, people talk about is, is, is sort of, is this the, is, is, this, is this the sort of utopia moment? We actually believe that we can be multi-billion and, and take on the likes of, you know, Under Armour, Lulu, maybe maybe not quite get to the Nike levels of 36 billion US dollars, but, you know, at least it's something to aim for. I love the stay humble. It's just so important in, in all aspects. And again, if I bring that back into tennis, that exactly that you win a first round match you win a second round match you win a you win a tournament but that ability to just every day have that humility to come in and go right what are my processes we call it a daily bill what's my daily bill that i have to pay today i do that win or lose and, and, and i keep going and that the the root of that is often humility <laughs> yeah absolutely I, I love the daily bill actually and i'll sort of i'll i'll take that and sort of plug it into gym shark in a, a, a second so um, I do, when we have new starters, we're, we're sort of, you know, we've got probably 40, 50 new starters a month at the moment, right across the world. Um, and I insist on being on their onboarding uh, as part of their onboarding process. Yeah. Um, and I take, you know, I meet them a couple of hours and we, we chat about, you know, the journey so far and, you know, what we're looking for in, in terms of a new employee when they, when they join the family here. Um, and they always ask me, what's, what's the one bit of advice you can give me as a new starter? Um, and I say, just be consistent. So don't be great on a Monday and then not bother showing up on a Tuesday or thinking, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a little bit of a day off Tuesday. Yeah. And then, you know, smash it at the park on a Wednesday and then be good on a Thursday. Just be, just be good and consistent all of the time. And I think, yeah. you know, I think that plays back out to your, uh, your analogy there within the, uh, the, 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 sort of the daily bill at Soto for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And if I take you back a little bit, Steve, obviously you've got to a stage in your career where you're very successful. And I know when we spoke on the phone the other day, you said something to me that really resonated, which also shows your humility that this kind of income of finance that's there, it gives you choices, but it doesn't change anything. You know, and I think a lot of people would, would change with, with this thought process. Yeah, you see it a lot, um, certainly within the business environment. Um, 
I think certainly with the, the social native, you know, that, you know, 16 to 30 old people put or, or, or sort of assess success on one measure, which is money. How much money am I going to earn? You know, yeah. what, what can I afford to buy? Um, and it's great to have, you know, it's great to have that as part of your success criteria. It shouldn't be the only thing. Um, again, I've drilled it into everybody here at Gymshark. Um, and even the conversation you have with your friends and, 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 and your sort of your kids is money gives you one thing. It gives you choice. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it certainly doesn't buy your health. It certainly doesn't buy your happiness. Yeah. Um, and you know, you look at, you look at again, some of the, uh, the, the most talented tennis stars in the world, Roger Federer didn't get to a point where he made so much money that he just thought, okay, I'm just going to stop. You know, yeah. that his measure of success is clearly not money. Yeah. It's about being the best he can be. Um, no different here. So, um, again, I think there's always a little bit of a watch out when people, um, really uh, great success just down to money. I think it's just a nice to have rather than a must have. Absolutely. And, and in terms of the values that have been installed in you, do we put that down to the Northeastern roots? Uh, absolutely. And I can see the Newcastle <laughs> United badge behind you there, Dan. So I love that. Yeah. So obviously working class Geordie, uh, very proud of that. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, my parents did a great job and also my sort of, friendship circles again I'm a, I'm a big believer you, you sort of choose your friendship circles wisely your peer group is really really important and I think if you surround yourself with the right people and and you really live and breathe the values that your parents have of of uh, hopefully instilled into you then you can't go too far wrong yeah. uh, and actually interviewed somebody who was very very senior within the US Nike organization um, recently um, and uh, he was we were talking about culture and people and he says, as long as you treat people fairly and with decency, you yeah. can't go too far wrong. So I think, you know, uh, certainly in terms of what we've applied at, at Gymshark, and I think part of, you know, people say to me, you know, what, what's the secret source of Gymshark? It's definitely not one thing. But the one thing I think that we've got mostly right is the way we treat people. And I think yeah. if you do that, whether it's in a everyday environment, whether it's in a sporting environment, I mean, I've got a 12-year-old boy who... Ollie, who is the most competitive person and he'd rather than die than sort of lose. <laughs> um, and just trying to coach him into, you know, winning is not everything. Yeah. Um, it's actually that performance. And you may lose a tennis match, six love, or a football match, three or four nil. But, you know, what are the positives that you can take out that game? Same here. Um, one of the, uh, the big, big mantras that we have at Gymshark is, don't be afraid to fail, but if you're going to fail, do it really, really quickly. So learn from that experience and then apply that to the next situation or to yeah. a similar situation moving forward. Because I believe actually, if you're just winning all the time, you, you don't, you definitely don't learn as quickly as when you're failing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, again, probably message to, to people listening to this podcast is, is don't be afraid, afraid to fail. I, I know growing up, I was uber competitive and I think that's probably what took me towards business in the end. Yeah. Um, and probably back in the day, it was probably similar to my, to, to, to my son where it was win at all costs. And I think as you grow up and you, you sort of learn the lessons of life, I think you actually learn that failing is actually probably the quickest way you're going to learn, Dan. Yeah, no, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Have you got any examples of where you failed in business? Oh, lo loads of times. Um, not being brave enough, um, you know, not being considered, considered enough. I'm very impatient, still, still impatient not as impatient as I used to be. 
So, you know, sometimes I would shoot before I aimed or yeah. maybe it was going into a new market or was launching a new product. Um, so, yeah, so I think for me, uh, for a business, it's, it's probably being uh, more considered is probably where I failed. And, I, and again, I think as you grow up and you get a little bit older and a bit more gray hair, you sort of, uh, you understand the, uh, the benefit of being just that yeah. really. And what was your sto story before Gymshark? What was your business story, I guess? Yeah, um, you know what, U US was, was the turning point. So um, I wasn't very academic. I worked hard just to sort of, you know, made sure that I got on the football team and the rugby team. Because yeah. generally at my school, if you didn't, if you didn't behave uh, academically, you, you basically weren't allowed in, any, in yeah. any sporting team. So it sort of kept me on the straight and narrow a little bit in terms of, you know, um, I love sport, therefore I had to do uh, my very best from an academic perspective. Yeah. Um, I then got the opportunity to, to go to university, did that for three or four years. Great, great experience. I'll be honest, have I applied much of my degree uh, to yeah. my working life? Not a huge amount, but yeah. what, it did, what it did teach me is, is um, you know, people relationships and, and the value in that. So, you know, even now it's been a few years since my university days, but I'm still in contact and, and, and have a really strong friendship um, network with that group of people, which is great. But really what, what a degree did for me, it, it allowed me to go to the US because back in the day in the US, you needed a degree to sort of go and work there. And I, yeah. and I played football at a, uh, at a decent level. Um, yeah. And got the opportunity to play out in uh, in the MLS uh, in the in its sort of inaugural inaugural year. Yeah. Um, didn't quite make it. Wasn't yeah. quick enough. Wasn't fit enough. Yeah. I certainly wasn't skillful enough. Um, but I sort of got drawn into actually coaching, sports coaching, okay. um, and I ended up becoming a, a, effectively a full time football coach. Um, and really from there, it, I, I sort of applied that going. If I can apply some of the leadership skills I'm teaching a, a 10 year old into business yeah. Yeah. and really get the best out of those people, actually, there's a, there's a real good opportunity for me yeah. to do well in the business environment. So that's really where it came from. And then I got the opportunity to, to, uh, to go and work for what was one of the biggest sports brands in the world at that time, which is Reebok. And then Reebok yeah. was bought by the Adidas group and, and, uh, and yeah, and eventually met Ben um, in a, almost like in a, a consulting role, they were, they were struggling a little bit with their supply network. Um, you know, 21, you, I guess you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Uh, and me having a little bit more gray hair than the guys, I could sort of help them out in a couple of areas yeah. and never look back really. And, and here we are and, and, and getting that billion pound plus valuation. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a hell of a journey so far. And, and for those listening, Ben, Ben is the founder of Gymshark started at age 19 20 is that right yeah um you know saw an opportunity was just brave um you know actually when i first met him he was he was he was really quiet but he was very laser focused and determined yeah. um and to be fair to him you know most 19 20 olds these days though you hear it quite a lot there's a bit of entitlement comes through yeah. um, i'm sure that you would have seen that throughout the Absolutely. years within, within the tennis environment and actually it goes back to that ethos, ethos of if you're willing to just sort of work hard and do the basics right every single day, then, you know, did Ben ever think Gymshark would become such a thing at 1920 yeah. when he was, you know, borrowed his mum's sewing machine to, yeah. you know, customise, you know, vests for the gym? Probably not. Certainly not. Um, but actually a little bit of hard work, a little bit of luck. I think you always need a little bit of luck yeah. in terms of timing um, and a bit of good fortune. And, and again, you know, 
all we've done at Gymshark is is effectively surrounded us uh, ourselves with better people. Yeah. I remember the uh, the biggest failure Gymshark ever had. It was Black Friday 2015. Black Friday in the sort of the e-commerce world is yeah. you know big discounting. It's one weekend, um, and we did we had a great plan A. Unfortunately, we didn't have a plan B, right? Uh, yeah. And plan A failed, and we we just weren't prepped for it. And coming out of that, it was you know. I remember losing 40% of our customer base overnight because of the right, bad okay. service, Not all because we didn't have a plan B. And I remember saying to Ben, it's, it's really time to, to surround ourselves with people who are better than us in areas where we think we're great. Yeah. Um, and again, if you apply that to sort of the sporting environment, whether it's tennis or any other sport, there's actually a lot to learn in that. There's a lot to learn in that. A lot, a lot. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating story, the Gymshark story. And, and I guess massive credit as well to Ben he, for starting that and having the humility to say, right, guys, I don't really, I'm young. <laughs> I don't really have it in me here. You brought yourself and Paul in, in with yeah. him, is that right? You know, and, and then also fair play to you guys, because I guess it was a bit of a risk to come in at such an early stage of a business for you guys as well. Yeah, it was, um, you know, the, the, there was two def- there's been two defining moments in Jim Shark's journey. One was the Black Friday failure. And again, yeah. you talked about earlier, you know, you've got to fail to, to sort of move on and, and get better. Uh, as I said, don't be afraid of that. Um, and two was really Ben's ability to listen. Um, and as a 21-year-old, as the founder and the majority shareholder, in most founder-led businesses, the egos are, egos are so big that yeah. they generally listen to what they want to listen to and just plow on regardless yeah. the you know, you see a lot of ego founder businesses where they're actually sociopaths in the way that they work and they don't really care about people. And Ben is a 21 year old. I mean, far more mature and humble than I was at 21 for sure. Yeah. Um, so those were the, really the two defining moments. And, and for me, was it, was it, um, you know, was it scary? No. Was it seat of the pants? Absolutely. You know, it was in the entrepreneurial phase at that point. So the analogy I give is if Jim Shark was a house, they'd effectively, you know, built this house, starting to stick some extensions on it, you know, making a lovely driveway. But actually when you walked in the uh, the front door, the foundations were a little shaky. Yeah. And certainly if a pandemic like uh, COVID had a hit back in 2012, 13, would it have survived? Probably not. Um, what I was super in awe of at the time, uh, Dan, was Ben's sole focus on, he wanted a brand to be purpose-led um, and community first. A lot of brands in the last 20, 30 years have not been built in that same way, which actually meant, has meant that we've been able to be really agile, really disruptive, but, but more importantly, be laser focused um, and actually understanding what we're not good at and saying no to that. Um, and as I said, really focus on the stuff that we are good at. And that's all we've done. We kept it really, really basic. So, you know, back to your uh, uh, tennis analogy earlier, it's about just doing the basics well every single day. And marginal gains, right? You know, yeah. I, I say to, you know, again, Ollie and Maddie, who are, who are my kids, you know, you don't have to be Serena Williams tomorrow. You don't have to be Ronaldo tomorrow. Just just think about those marginal gains day in, yeah. day out. Yeah, no, absolutely. It sounds like you're working for Soto Tennis with that talk there, Steve. That's, we might need to get you on board. <laughs> well, anything, anything to get me out the UK sunshine, Dan. I'm, uh, I'm down there. So just let me know when, fella. One, one thing when I was looking in, looking into. Obviously, we've spoke a lot over the last couple of years, but when I was looking into it, which I absolutely loved, when we talk about culture, 
and I want to get into culture a little bit more now, Steve, but I want staff to feel like Sunday evening is like Christmas Eve. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, um, Ex explain no, that to me. Yeah, very romantic. So again, back to actually when we have uh, new starters um, at our place, uh, I talk about, and I've talked this about actually, I do a lot of you know talks on Sunday Times, Fast Track, etc. And, and it sounds really romantic, but my view of the world is, is when you come to work, um, and I'm going to sort of change actually the work. When, when you decide on your vocation in life, um, in certainly in, in the UK, and anybody from the UK listening to this will, will get what I mean. Certainly parents will definitely understand this. That 6 p.m. Sunday night dread of, oh, bollocks, I've got to go <laughs> yeah. to work tomorrow. Yeah. And you get to work, you battle with traffic, you get to work, uh, and from Monday, all you're doing is you're wishing your life away till the Friday. In fact, there's a restaurant chain built on that very thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank God it's Friday. So yeah. um, my view of that is, you know what? Do something that you love. Do something that you're passionate about. So actually, Sunday night at 6 p.m., it's, it's not one of dread. It's like, actually, I can't wait to kick the duvet back tomorrow and, and actually get up a little bit earlier because I don't see it as work. I see it as a vocation. Yeah. Um, and that, for me, is, is, is really the driver of our culture here. Now, in doing that, it's, you know, words are cheap. I always say words are cheap. You know, action speaks louder than words. What we've then got, we what we've sorry been able to do at Gymshark is is then build an environment that everybody wants to be part of and nobody wants to leave. Mm -hmm. And if you think about those words, it sounds really easy, but you try and create an environment that every single person wants to be part of. That's the ex sort of the external world saying, "I want to be part of this rocket ship of a brand." And once I'm in, I never ever want to leave. So, yeah. can everybody legitimately say they're building an environment like that? Probably not. Whether it's in business, whether it's in sport. Yep. But if you're able to even get close to that, my God, you have just such a positive infection, infectious environment that, yep. uh, as I said, everybody wants to be part of. And I think, you know, we don't always get it right uh, at our place, but that's what we try to strive to every single day. Now, um, I go back to culture a second, actually, um, in terms of what you let off with there. I think probably people think, maybe the, 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 the team at your place probably think that you set the culture. And I think leaders have a big part to play in the culture. My view of culture is every single person plays a part in the culture. And whether they're, whether they're in a leadership role, whether they've been in two minutes, whether they've been in two years makes no difference. Yeah. Um, we, have, we don't have many policies at Gymshark, as you can imagine, a, you know, a, a business with 600 people and where the average age is 29, not me included, clearly. <laughs> um, but we have one policy and it's our sort of talent policy. Um, uh, and it goes along the lines of this. We'd rather have a hole than an arsehole in the business. Yeah. So one person in your team can actually kill the environment, can kill the culture. And it doesn't always necessarily need to be that leader. It can yeah. be anybody in any form. And again, um, anybody in this podcast, think about that not only in your tennis environment, but even apply that to your friendship circle and your friendship network. Yeah. Uh, and my view is, 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 you know, assess whether you've actually got any arseholes in your group. And if you yeah. have, then you just need, you know, you've, you've then got to be really honest with, with that particular person. Um, and it goes back to, you know, being, you know, treating people fairly and with decency. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what we've just tried to do at Gymshark and, we don't always get it right, but we try and get those basics right every day. 
Very good, Steve. Very similar. I love the one. And I, I actually take it on the trips with me now from the New Zealand, the All Blacks. They have no dickheads. You know, so we, and it's... We, we, yeah. got, uh, we got written onto a, a wall here, don't be a dickhead. Yeah. Uh, it's right next to a, uh, one of the Agile kitchen areas. Yeah. Why is it next to the uh, Agile kitchen areas? Because in our old office, people could not be bothered to wash up their dishes afterwards. And we're right, like, yeah. this is a basic thing, guys. This is basic. It doesn't matter what, where you are, whether you're the CEO, whether you've been the founder, um, just do the right thing. Um, yeah. You know, again, another analogy is if Ben's the last into the car park, he's got the furthest walk to the door. There's no, there's no founder privileged car, you know, car parking space for me, for him, for where, who, for whoever yeah. it's, you've got the furthest walk. And I think, Again, it's just getting those basics right. Um, another one actually in legacy there, Dan, um, is big believer in, um, you know, when you get the shirt as an all black, yep. when you hand over that shirt when you retire, it's got to be in a better shape than, the, uh, yep. than it was when you first got it. And I love that yeah. too. It's a great yeah. book. It's a fantastic book. It's such, yep. a, good, such a good book. Yep. And, and, and on that as well, Steve, um, culture is obviously so important and something that you guys do so well. How does, how does the culture match up in terms of success compared to the product quality? And how do you, I guess, where would you put those two things? And obviously, are they independent? Are they, or do they come and go? Are they, are they together? I think, um, I think probably the, the, the key word across both those things, again, I'm back to the word consistency or being consistent. Um, we couldn't produce world-class product if our culture was in an awful state because yep. you would have humility. Um, you'd have a whole lot of ego, you know, challenges in the big businesses that have come from this world is the things that stop you from making the right decision by your customer. Quite a lot of the time is not, not, we got it wrong. It was actually because egos got in the way. Mm -hmm. um, we have a philosophy here where the best idea has to win. Yeah. Um, so through the pandemic, actually, we changed our uh, Gymshark Instagram handle from Gymshark to Homeshark. And that was okay. to send out a responsible message to all the social natives who effectively, you know, are 14 million followers across the world to actually, you know, take heed of the advice that they're getting from, from governments in their own country uh, and be responsible and you'll set the example. So I don't think they're independent. I, my view here, if we had a toxic culture, would we be able to produce world-class product and look after customers in the way that we do? Yeah. Not a chance. Yeah. So I think absolutely the two things are connected. And, um, you know, it's a bit like the, um, uh, the same from a, a sporting environment. If you're, not, if you're not willing to put the hard yards in, in terms of training and, and getting up early and, and actually whether it's reading literature at night or, or studying uh, videos of your opponents or, or, or whatever that looked like, then don't expect to turn up on match day and, and absolutely smash it. It ain't going to happen. Yeah. So also big into uh, not only culture and uh, world-class product, but also the preparation that you need to put into it too. Yeah. And do, um, you, do you find, Steve, that those qualities are, are linked to people in the world of sport? And have you, do, you have, do you have a not necessarily a policy, but do you find that you're attracted to people with sporting backgrounds for those reasons to transfer over into, into business? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you can look at it two ways, actually. Um, so somebody coming from a team environment, um, generally, if they, again, if they've been around the right team with the right culture, they'll come into our business and absolutely be a team player from, from minute one because they get it. Yeah. Um, if you look at our trading team here, um, which is effectively the, the store managers of our 15 online stores, um, some of those guys will come from an individual sporting background because generally individual sporting backgrounds, they're, they're just really competitive and they hate to lose, right? Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I think tennis and golf are probably the two hardest games yeah. uh, of any sport to play out there because there's just you on the court or there's just you on the court. In football and rugby, actually, you can, have, you can probably get away with having five minutes bad spell. Yeah. As you know, in tennis, you have a five minute bad spell in tennis, you've lost the set. Yeah. Um, so I think it depends on the function, certainly at Gymshark. I think there's certain, there's certain roles here which would probably um, link, and, um, yeah, link to more team sports environment. Yeah. And then you've got individual contributors at Gymshark who, are, who, would probably, uh, who would probably come from an individual sporting background where they're just competitive as hell. And it's not, not necessarily about winning, it's, but it's about not finishing second. And people yeah. tell me that's the same thing. It's like, it's not the same thing to me. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so definitely uh, when we see people with a sporting background come on to uh, or be part of their CV build, the reality is that their, their CV probably gets put to more of the top of the pile than it would, would be the bottom for sure. Yeah. And when it comes to, obviously what I'm hearing loud and clear, Steve, is people, people, people you know and how important having the right people how do you manage to get the right people through an interview process what does that look like dan you mentioned people 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 absolutely 100 percent people build brands um in terms of interview process here it's um it's exhaustive so we're looking for some senior leads for our uh, us operation which uh, opens in denver colorado in november uh, and again, we need to create the right environment in the US, just like we've done here. Um, so that goes through a whole load of filters, you know, filters upon filters upon filters. So um, somebody at that level probably would have to go through a seven, eight stage process before wow. they get offered the job. Um, but it's back to that policy of we've got to make sure that they're not an arsehole, first and foremost. Yeah, yeah. They've got to make sure that actually they are they're able to create that environment that everybody wants to be part of and nobody wants to leave. So all the things I've already talked about. Fundamentally, and I'm sure you've done the same at Soto. Well, I know you have, because I know some of the guys there, um, is you recruit to people in you yeah. um, in all areas across the business and you learn from them. So a lot of people go, oh, well, does that mean that you make yourself redundant or you make yourself less important? I don't think you ever make yourself redundant in a great business yeah. and certainly in a great environment. Um, does that mean to say that you don't become the main focus? Probably, but that's a great thing because then your team gets yeah. the credit. Yeah. Um, if it's down to one person, then any business is at risk of, of falling over any, at any time. Right. Absolutely. So um, I, I think what we've, uh, what I've sort of tried to educate our chiefs. So I run a chief team, which is effectively the board here. And I say to our chiefs is they've got functional directors who sit below them uh, in our structure. And I say to them, make sure that your functional directors are better than you in the areas that they're leading yeah. and you'll have the best team in the world. Don't be frightened of doing that. And, um, and now that takes a little bit of 
bit of self-confidence. Yeah. Um, you know, if you've got um, imposter syndrome, that becomes quite difficult to, to really take on and, and reinforce. Um, but that's what we've tried to do here. We're not, we're not, we're certainly not a 10 out of 10. Um, but I think where our gaps are in our business is probably less so on the people side. It's probably actually on more, you know, low hanging fruit business metrics than it would be actually people metrics. Great answers, Steve. Honestly, it's fascinating. Um, I want to move you to tennis. I want, I want you to take, take your Gymshark hat off and I want you to put your tennis parents hat on. Um, yeah. how, how's, how's the tennis journey been for you so far as a tennis parent? Yeah, um, oh, that's a great question, Jan. Um, fun, frustrating as hell. Yeah. Um, and it goes back to sort of, you know, com- you know, I'm competitive. Joe, my wife, who, to be fair, does most of the, uh, the taxiing and you know, to various tournaments with Maddie. Um, and I think the challenge, the big watch out as a parent, and by the way, it's the same with Ollie, Ollie, Ollie my son. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an example there as well in a second. Is you've got to let them play their game and you've got to let them fail rather than yeah. actually try and coach them as a parent, which I think is the worst thing in the world to do, by the way. And I come from a, a coaching background myself regarding yeah. football. Um, because normally it's probably at the detriment of what their coach is telling them, for one, because generally yeah. when you when that advice or that feedback goes out to your child, it's probably said when emotions, I know I've said it, when the emotions are running at the high side. I've, I've been in the car with Manny when we've come back from a tournament where it looks like she's just not bothered. Yeah. And you sort of dress her down in the car in terms of going, well, I'm not, we're not doing this on a Sunday. We're not traveling hours here yeah. on a Sunday. And actually, if you sort of, stop and pause and go is that is that the right thing to do will that actually turn them off their game and actually the love for the sport probably and i think as a parent that's tough because you you just want them to do well and as i said me and joe are both very very competitive um just naturally but also as parents and you want them to win every single every single point never mind every single game and match um but ultimately you've got to you've got to let them get on with it and and sort of find their own way um, and I got a bit of advice actually back to Ollie uh, from a football perspective and it was actually from a, an old colleague who I used to work with in the US and, and I was telling him about you know, Ollie's performance one day and he said, he said Wait, so at what point did you give him that feedback? I said, as soon as we got in the car, as soon as he got off the pitch yeah. and he was like, wrong, wrong time to do it. He said, if you're going to have a chat, if that game is on a Saturday, have the chat with him about you know, what worked, what didn't work, what you're going to do differently for the next game, but let, let's have that conversation on the Tuesday, Wednesday, not when you're emotionally charged. And yeah. that's probably been the biggest learner along the journey is, is it's, you're not playing your game. And certainly when I got involved with both Manny and Ollie with, and, and still involved in their sport heavily, is you end up trying to play their own game and hit every shot or hit every ball and, and Looking back, you know, uh, you, you feel like you sort of let them down at times, probably because you've given them a hard time when you shouldn't have given them a hard time. Um, you also want them to be the best that they can be. So one thing that we sort of say to our kids all the time is, is don't be afraid to play outside your comfort zone. Don't be afraid to try something new, whether it's a shot, whether it's a, a skill, whatever it is. And if, if you lose the point or you lose the match, then, then so what? It's actually about the performance and trying new things. 
Um, now saying that, Dan, and living and breathing that every single time is bloody tough being competitive and, yeah. and impatient. Um, but I, I think we're getting better. Yeah. Um, but most of all, it's been, it's, I mean, our family would be the same without the kids playing sport for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's Jim Shark's busy, as you know. We've had lots of chats about the growth of it. Um, there's not many things that take my mind off of sort of growing the brand. But when my kids step onto the tennis court or the football pitch or the rugby pitch, yeah. everything else goes out the window and it's, and it's all about them. And, yeah. um, and, you know, that's something that you'll sort of treasure forever, yeah. to be fair. And what sort of education, if any, have you received as a tennis parent? You know what? Not enough is the is the honest answer. That's why yeah. I need to come down and live full time in Soto and sort of have a beer with you, and, yeah. and you can you can educate me some more. Um, not enough, um, but probably because of the coaching background, you sort of you almost clock yourself yeah. like over coaching them, and as I said, you know maybe compromising what they're coaches doing uh, with them as I said on the court or the pitch um, my advice would be to any tennis parents listening to this is is definitely make the time to go and get yourself educated yeah. um, as I said we I didn't do it early uh, didn't do it early enough in the early days uh, or didn't do it enough sorry in the early days um, and I think that probably you know got me into some emotional conversations with both Manny and Ollie at the time, yeah, yeah. Um, which again, you'd almost, you know, hindsight, you wouldn't want to do that. So just, you know, make sure you yeah. make the time to go and get yourselves educated for sure. Yeah. yeah. The three, the three C's that we talk about, we've, we do quite a bit at the Academy now with parental education, with sports psychologists that we work with. And the three C's are care, you know, ultimately, and they need to feel that unconditional love where whether whether it's a win or a loss you know it's when which is hard i think as a parent as well not the love part's not but the the way that the player feels yeah you know if they feel that mommy and daddy love me more when i win <laughs> or, or give off that more when when i win then that that's that's a really negative thing that's going to play play on their minds 100 you know, we've been guilty of that for sure yeah and i think we as, as tennis parent i'm a tennis parent as well you know and it's something that it, it, the emotions are strong competence is the second one you know and actually just that it, it's a very different thing to say believe in yourself than to than to say i believe in you we believe in you you know, and that doesn't mean that every night parents that are listening that you need to say, I believe in you, I believe in you, because then it gets too much and the kids yeah, like, yeah. Oh, do one. But just at the right <laughs> moments, at the right moments, having those, <clears throat> having those little conversations, I've just actually had earlier on today, Simon Dixon on the podcast. So whether he's out before you or not, I'm not sure which way it's going to go. But he talked about his dad when he grew up, who he was quite tough on him. But one thing that his dad used to say to him, is now's your time. You can beat these players now. You can, and he said when he was younger, he just, it just made an impact. You know, it just yeah. kind of, it just kind of happened. And the last one is choice. You know, and and for the for the player or the the youngster to feel like they've got choice. You know, yeah. choice choice is very empowering, which is obviously a word that you've talked about earlier on today. And, and just to, I suppose, simplify things, because even listening to you, you're the CEO of 
probably the fastest growing business or one of the fastest growing businesses in the whole of the UK. So you're incredibly successful, Steve, in terms of that, in terms of as a businessman, yet listening to you speak, you've simplified things really well. You know, so, yeah. so a numb nuts like myself can talk to you and come away feeling very clear on how you work. And I think the better we get at anything that we do, the more simple that we can put it. And, yeah. and I guess the my advice to parents is to simplify it. You know, and those those three C's, if you're falling in line with them, you're probably not doing too bad of a job. You know, and I think we can all. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. I mean, uh perfectly put i think for me the if i was prioritizing those three c's as a parent it would always be the first one right and yes and just just think of what you said there you know that journey back when you know maddie's played well and won um compared to that journey back where actually you're sort of frustrated because actually it looks like she wasn't trying whereas it could have been just in that game she was you know struggling mentally whatever whatever the reason right that journey, you definitely treat your kids differently as a result. And actually, if you think about your role as a parent, you sort of have to stop yourself and say, is my primary role mum or dad, or is it coach? Yeah. And it has to be the first one, right? It has, has to be the first one. Yeah. And that was the advice I got, as I said, from an old colleague in the US is, if you're going to have that conversation about dissecting the game with your son or daughter, Yeah. It can't be in the moment because it's, no. you either say the wrong things in the wrong way and, and now you've got a quiet car journey home, right? Yep. Um, and it does nothing for your relationship. Yeah. Um, and eventually probably turns the, uh, the, the kid off the sport eventually, yeah. right? Yeah, um, so we're, we're definitely mindful of that as parents. Now, <laughs> by the way, we're, we're, not, we're not sort of squeaky clean when it comes to that because, you, as I said, you want the best for your kids. But I think for me, the, uh, the you know, great advice for, for me, I think you have to be a parent first rather than a yeah. coach. No, no, absolutely. And I, the, the one that I also think works quite well because being stuck in basically a tin box for 45 minutes as a, as a child and not being able to get out, it's, it's not a choice. That's a tough, that's a really tough place to be. So one that I've introduced to quite a few of our parents and players is within 24 to 36 hours of your match, you have the choice of when to say, right, I'm now ready to talk. Yeah. So, they're, so they're making the choice and it's a bit of a safe place for them to be able to go, right, here it is. Because also the other thing that we don't want is, is for, for kids to put their head under the sand and just forget about it, you know, by, yeah. by reflecting and feeding back and, and, and going through that process is one of the best learning processes that we can have, you know, so, so without that, it, it, it's difficult to, to move things forward. But I definitely, again, to parents listening, I would say that that safe place where, where your child makes the decision, okay, but they have to do it within 24 hours, um, is now, now I'm ready to, to have a talk. If it's obviously behavioural, then it's something very different because I guess as, as parents, we've all got our, we've all got our boundaries on, on what we believe is acceptable when it comes to behavior. But if it's something out of their control, like a performance, then it needs a little bit of time. Steve, Absolutely. 
you have been brilliant, mate. It's been honestly such an honour for us to have you on the podcast and to be able to to hear about all the fantastic things that, that you're doing on a day-to-day basis and also how transferable they are into the tennis world. I know the listeners would have taken so much, but you don't get away without without the famous quick fire round at Control the Controllables. So okay, I'm looking forward to this. Are you ready? I am ready. Serve or return? Serve. Sport or business? Oh, sport. Newcastle or Sunderland? Oh, easy one, Newcastle. If that was Sunderland, you were off the you, you were <laughs> off the off, you off the channel. Rafa or Roger? Roger every single time. Serena or Venus? Serena. Online or in in shop? Online. Couldn't say anything else, right? <laughs> one rule change that you would have in tennis if you could. Oh, I'd still quicking up the quicken up the time between serves. Okay, I like it. And to pick up on something you said earlier, Steve, you said that you're impatient. Is that something you're working on? Yeah, always. Um, and it's sort of in, impatience crossed over with, with sort of being considered. So that whole aim before you shoot rather than shooting then aim so um so that yeah so i'm i'm am i cured of that absolutely not and i think it was part part of the success here is that we're all a little bit impatient um you just got to be a little bit careful that you don't do that without the right level of consideration otherwise that becomes quite a costly mistake so would would a wild card in week three of fantasy football be classed as impatient or considered that you have had Nathan <laughs> Rooney on the call. You're going to have to bleep this out, but you're a bastard. Um, that is, uh, that's definitely impatient. <laughs> you, I tell you what, I'm going to have him for that. I'm going to have him for that. You, you that, is, wa- <laughs> that is brilliant, by the way. You, you walked into it fantastically well. I tell you what, I'll never, ever forgive you and Nathan Rooney for that. <laughs> Steve, thank you so much. You, it's been brilliant having you on, and, and good luck with the rest of the season as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to need I'm going to need more than luck, Dan. To be fair, no, listen, appreciate it. It's been uh, it's been a humbling experience to be part of this, and I will see you down at Soto um, after COVID restrictions have lifted. So, looking forward to seeing you all down there. We can't wait to welcome you. Thanks, Steve. Wonderful. A massive thank you to Steve for that. As I said at the start, it was it was a brilliant chat, and I'm sure you all agree. I'd like to apologise for the stitch up at the end of the podcast. Uh, he walked into that an absolute treat. So on behalf of myself and Nathan Rooney, Steve, we'd like to apologise. I, I considered taking it out of the podcast. But I decided it was just too good. Uh, you made me laugh too much. I don't know about anybody else that, that I had to keep it in there. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Uh, like you say, we've expanded the podcast a little bit. To, Steve has a strong link to tennis. But hopefully getting these insights from, from outside of tennis and, and the business world 
as you would have got from Steve, culture, the simplicity, the importance of being a good person. You know, this comes from genuinely one of the most successful business people that we have in the UK. And, and the messages are very simple. Is there a way that we can bring those sort of messages, those sort of day-to-day consistencies, those cultures into our tennis world? I know that I certainly feel very inspired about that and, and want to link in some things in with Sodo Tennis Academy. But what do you think, coaches, parents, players? I'd love to hear your thoughts. And um, later on this week, on the Saturday episode, we have Simon Dixon. Many of you will know Simon. Those that don't, Roger Federer's age. He beat Roger Federer when he was 16, 17, beat Leighton Hewitt, and also played football for Man United when he was younger. Uh, We really get into the topic of why Simon didn't go on to achieve as much as possibly the greatest ever male player of all time. And, And that's another great episode to look forward to. Before then... I'm going to leave you guys to it. Thank you for listening. I'm Dan Kiernan. My co-host is John McGann. And we are Control the Controllables.